Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Tuesday, January 23rd, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, pretty much whatever podcasting service you uh, desire. Hope all is well. Uh, not the normal Sunday. Wanted to wait a couple of days. This free agency period really makes you wonder, as I'm recording the show, is something going to come down? And I mean, it's still a very, very, I mean, it, it got a little maybe hot for a day or two, but very much the cold stove, I would say. And, and you're starting to hear the usual things out there from the Players Association, players threatening to fire their agents, wondering if there's collusion, Oh, my God, do we make a mistake really not negotiating during the last collective bargaining agreement? Those are a lot of interesting questions, really not the focus of today, though. I, I do think we want to dive into that before the off season is over. Joining me in just a little bit, I actually uh, earlier had a chance to catch up with Jay Jaffe of SI. Jay is the inventor of a metric called JAWS, which uh, a lot of individuals use to help fill out their Hall of Fame ballot. and uh, 
right now uh, as we speak. It looks like you may have, for the first time since the inaugural Hall of Fame class, five Hall of Famers announced because if you go by, and uh, he does a great job, if you're on Twitter and you're not following Ryan Thibodeau, at not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter, he basically what he does, he accumulates or asks uh, writers, members of the BBWAA, to give them their ballot. He'll publish it publicly if you desire. If you don't want it publicly put out there, and a lot of people, there's a good chunk of people that don't because they're afraid of the backlash and what have you, he'll he'll still tabulate the votes. And really, it's a projection system, and it's a damn accurate one so that you have a great idea on Wednesday when MLB Network announces who will be in the 2018 Hall of Fame class, what to expect. It takes a little bit of the drama and, I guess, excitement of the announcement away, but in a world of technology and information, there's not a heck of a lot you can do. But as of right now, as of Tuesday morning, it looks like it'll be Chipper Jones, Vlad Guerrero, Jim Tomey, Trevor Hoffman, and a very good possibility because the projections between the public and the private votes and using, I guess, some algorithms that Edgar Martinez may sneak in at 75.2% of the vote. So the DH finally getting some love. It took a while for relievers to get love. The DH now is going to get love, and you'll have a pretty strong Hall of Fame class. And for someone that grew up watching baseball in the 90s, a lot of the guys that were part of that time, part of the stories, you know, the playoff runs, you know, whether you're a Mets fan facing Chipper Jones, the Yankees with Tomei, Vlad Guerrero was part of the NL East of the Montreal Expos for a while. Trevor Hoffman, there was always a debate between him and Rivera. And Edgar Martinez, look, if you're a Yankees fan, how can you not forget how he used to just torture the Yankees and how he he and King Griffey Jr. almost single-handedly, well, it was almost a three-prong attack. With he, them and Randy Johnson beat the Yankees in 1995 in that series that saved baseball in Seattle. I mean, Clemens and Bonds making some progress, but still a little bit ways off, it looks like. Uh, Schilling ways off. And then there's the debate about the guys like Manny Ramirez, who probably will finish with just over 20% of the vote, and, uh, and, and, and a lot of the question will be, well, if Bonds and Clemens are close, why is Ramirez? And, and the old saying is, well, Manny failed the test, those guys didn't, and away you go. But I'll get to that. Uh, We have Jay Jaffe, SI, joining me in a couple of minutes. I actually caught up with him earlier, and you'll hear that. Uh, As far as the Mets and getting into that, I I don't have a heck of a lot to say. Not much has happened. It seems like there's talk of a big free agent falling into their budget, whether it be Mike Moustakis. Again, you keep hearing that. Maybe there's a chance for Moustakis to be in that Jay Bruce three-year, $39 million range. I still think if you had a choice and if that's the money you're talking about, you probably could still get Todd Frazier for less for maybe a two-year deal. I think Frazier, with his intangibles, being a local guy, uh, you keep hearing. I know Moustakas had a big year. You keep hearing things about Moustakas and his makeup with a big market club from, from the writers, and that always, to me, is a red flag. And if somebody's dropping that much, well, why? Why is he dropping? And, and that's a great question. I mean, the whole market's dropping, but specifically for that kind of hitter who's not uh, all that old, you really have to take pause with that because it tells you something. But the real debate that I think a lot of Mets fans have had was over this report. Even It was around the time Bruce signed, maybe still after, and I don't understand how they would have pulled this off and 
it would have made a heck of a lot of sense if, if Jay Bruce was on the roster. But, but the Mets turned down a deal for Andrew McCutcheon straight up for Brandon Nemo. Now, I don't believe that. If you look at the deal that they had received from the Giants, there were going to have to be other minor league components. I don't know right now. And, and again, I keep saying with minor league systems, there's as much marketing here as there is reality to who's good, who's not. You know, you have your Keith Laws of the world, and Keith's been on the show, but sometimes when Keith Laws says something, everybody falls into line as, you know, as, as if it's gospel. And, uh, you know, if, if the Yankees get a couple of prospects and everyone gets hyped about the Yankees, then all of a sudden every Yankees prospect is going to turn out well. It, it doesn't work like that. Same thing with the Mets. The Mets have had that luxury as well at different times. But the Mets certainly have players in the system, whether it be Anthony Kay, uh, David Peterson, young players with potential who have not performed and, and don't deserve any kind of uh, ranking or, or marketing buzz. And maybe that'll change this year. Regardless, I think there probably are players that are the teams look at and say, well, you know, as part of a, of a package, that, that may make sense. Now, I don't believe the Pirates are going to do that straight up. And in a vacuum, you're like, well, how could the Mets turn that down? Well, um, step back a minute here with Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon had a, a, a decent year. Uh, but Andrew McCutcheon is 30 years old, number one. And he's going to be a free agent, so you would be getting him for one year at $14 million. You would be giving up a former number one pick, a player that profiles more as a component player, guy who could get on base, fourth outfielder. Certainly I don't think will hurt you if he started for a month or two. Maybe in a very, very strong outfield with power, you could put him in the corner and, and put him more at the top of the lineup in a modern-day you know, leadoff hitter, not with the speed component, but with the on-base percentage. But I'm not sure Brandon Nimmo is more than a 300 to 350 at-bat guy. I'm not sure you could start him against lefties consistently. Uh, with that said, he's not worthless. Uh, I think there's some th- things there. and His attitude is great. and You hear the fans who went to the Queens Baseball Convention uh, which is the basically the Mets Fan Fest that was put together uh, by a group of individuals uh, over the last couple of years. And, and Nimmo was just great with the fans. They love him, and everybody knows the, the, the attitude is great. I mean, he's he's got a little bit of that goofy Hunter Pence in him. But, I mean, when you compare him to Andrew McCutcheon, I mean, in, in a vacuum, this is like, how can the Mets not do this? Well, first, I don't believe that that was the case. Second, you know, this is not the Andrew McCutcheon of 2013 who won MVP. This is not the gold glove Andrew McCutcheon. This is the Andrew McCutcheon that was barely above league average in terms of offense in 2016. Uh, there was a lot of talk about his decline and how he can't play center field, and I, I still think that that's probably the case because every scout, even the metrics, are not kind to him in center field anymore. So he's probably going to pl- play right field. And then if you really peel the onion last year, yeah, he returned with a 279 batting average, 28 homers, 88 RBIs, but even with that, he's not in prime Andrew McCutcheon. This is not MVP Andrew McCutcheon. I'm not sure Jay Bruce can't do what Andrew McCutcheon did last year. Maybe the on-base will be a little bit higher with Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, he certainly won't have the hair of Andrew McCutcheon, but you start to break down even last year. I mean, Andrew McCutcheon had a couple of good months and and had some really long periods of 8 to 12 weeks of really not good baseball offensively, which made you wonder if he was done. And this is the kind of player, I'm telling you right now, this is the kind of player that the Mets, the trade the Mets would make, let's say they gave up Nimmo straight up for McCutcheon. This is the kind of player that would come here, do eh, leave as a free agent, the fans would be pissed, and then Nimmo 
under control with uh, you know the arbitration years and what have you, would go out and be a very solid player in Pittsburgh, a player the Mets could probably use, and the fans would go nuts. And they're like, how can the Mets do this? Well, what a bunch of morons they are. If you tell me that signing Jay Bruce for three years or taking a chance of giving up an asset, an asset that I understand is not probably going to be the impact number one player that, you know, I guess he, he everyone thought he may be with his skill set coming out of uh, the great, what is it, the, the Northwest out there where he came from. Uh, Wyoming, was it? Uh, not much baseball going on there. So it was always a risk when they took him, but they saw skills. But look, they like the attitude. He has a great eye at the plate. My only knock with Nimmo, other than the fact that he's probably not going to profile as the greatest defensive player, and I don't think he's a center fielder, is that he's too passive at the plate. You see a, a, a times where he's much too comfortable taking a walk when he should be more aggressive and going after it, and he gets called out on strikes. And, and I, you saw that a ton of times last year. I'd love to see some data on how many times he was called out on strikes at runners on base. But that, to me, is something that comes with maturity and comes with some good coaching and 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 can be fixed. I don't think that that's something that is impossible to to to, to turn around. And the fact that he has such a good eye at the plate, there's value. There's value to Brandon Nimmo. You heard some news that Michael Conforto is probably not going to be back until May 1st. I am fully comfortable with Brandon Nimmo subbing in for a month. Now, he's not Michael Conforto, but there's – there's value there. The Mets' depth right now is in question on that 40-man roster. Why do you think they took a couple of you know, interesting relievers in McGowan and Chase and Bradford and dropped them off the roster for Adrian Gonzalez and Jay Bruce? You know, teams, and you saw how Bradford got sucked up real quick. I think Bradford is not a bad option. I mean, he's, a, he's depth at a, at a position that everyone's dying for. The fact that they took those guys off tells you that they know they don't have the depth at the position players uh, part of the roster or guys that are ready. So really to summarize, I don't think that deal was ever that realistic. It might have been floated. I'm not sure I would have done that deal straight up for McCutcheon over Bruce. I have a lot of concerns about McCutcheon. You're looking at McCutcheon from three years ago, four years ago. It's a no-brainer. That's not the player you're getting anymore. And he's going to be north of 30, and this has uh, Jason Bay written all over it. Now, you could say the same thing for Jay Bruce, but Jay Bruce came here. He proved that he can play here. Uh, it is a short-term deal. You're not giving up anything but money, so if it doesn't work out, yes, I know with the Mets' finances, that's almost as as risky as giving up a player. And who knows what Brandon Nemo can become? Uh, you really don't. I mean, there's potential there. And with a player with attitude who wants a good attitude, who wants to play here, who has some skills, you just never know. And there's something to be said about that. I don't think Brandon Nimmo is a scrub, not at all. I mean, other than that, uh, the Brandon Phillips uh, Instagram tease where Hello New York and there was talk of Brandon Phillips and maybe some buzz. Uh, is, he, is he teasing coming to the Mets? I Again, if, if it came down to it, I'd sign Todd Frazier. I'd throw Cabrera at second base. I don't think I, – I have to see more of him. I do value defense up the middle, but I don't think he's that horrible. And if, and if he is, you, you might have to turn him more into a super sub and – and, and maybe figure that out at second base. There's still Reyes out there and whatnot. A, a perfect world, I would make Cabrera the super sub because I don't know how he'd hold up with his age, and, and I think he could play short. Not great, but he could play short in case uh, 
in, in case Rosario has a, a spell or, or is not ready, uh, you can put him at second. You can put him at third. I don't think he can play the outfield with Cabrera. I don't think he can play first base. But I'd sign Neil Walker, who I think his market's coming down. You saw Curtis Granderson get a one-year deal for $5 million, which is interesting. I think Neil Walker, Todd Frazier, if the Mets could fit those two offensive components in the budget, they'd be fine. And I laugh because the the fans will say, well, why are the Mets – bringing back the 2017 team that was so bad before they started ripping the thing apart. And with the injuries really piling up when they had Cespedes in the lineup, they were not a bad offensive team. And overall in the year, they were slightly below league average with about four and a half, a tick over four and a half runs a game, a healthy team with a healthy Cespedes, a healthy Conforto with Bruce being healthy uh, with some of the component players we're talking about will score plenty of runs. Look, if you're scoring four and a half, five runs a game with a competent pitching staff, and they didn't have a competent pitching staff. They had a, 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 a historically bad pitching staff, not because of talent, because of regression and because of preparation. And, and we'll see what the new regime does with that because, I, I, I mean, it put a lot of the blame on the mindset and the focus and the preparation of the prior coaching staff. There was the fact that this team won 70 games with, with the ERA over five with – the defense being as bad as it was, I mean, to me, that's actually amazing. They should have been worse. They should have been one of the worst teams in the league. The offense is not the problem. If you brought back every single one of the 2017 Mets on offense, uh, defensively there'd be issues, no doubt. But, and that's a big deal, but I feel like they'd be able to score enough. And with the improved bullpen, and hopefully with the starters uh, progressing, not regressing, progressing to their norms, or, or as, as close to the norms as possible. Again, is it a 105-win team like the Dodgers were last year, 104-win team like the Dodgers? No, I don't think so. But even John Smoltz came out and said, hey, it's not crazy to see the Mets competing for a pennant, and I've been standing by that. Uh, there's a lot that has to be shown in spring training. It's only going to be proven on the field. But believe me, Andrew McCutcheon for Brandon Nimmo, I mean, to get up in arms about that, peel the onion, go to the numbers, Think about it a little bit. Don't just try to say, you know, don't, don't be about winning the offseason and feeling good about a player. That's the kind of stuff that's gotten this team in trouble in the past. That's the kind of stuff that gets teams in trouble now. And I think front offices are starting to realize winning the offseason, signing the sexy free agent, winning those bidding wars, the only ones that win are the players' bank accounts and the agents, not the teams. Let's take a quick break. Jay Jaffe, SI, coming up next. Uh, he'll chat about the Hall of Fame, and uh, we'll see what's going on. He has a, a pretty cool book. If you're uh, big into breaking down the Hall of Fame stats, it's called the Cooperstown Casebook. So we'll chat with Jay Jaffe of SI about the Hall of Fame and the upcoming uh, announcement of this year's 2018 selections right after this. Chipper Jones connects for a leadoff homer to start the ninth inning. That's not going to win any points with your manager if your team fights back to, to tie it. I think that's Chipper Jones' first big league home run. It is. And that was what a time for it. Yeah, and a rocket, too. Great extension. Look how he gets ahead of the bat out there on that pitch. Hmm.
We're back, and uh, joining us to talk some Hall of Fame is Jay Jaffe. You guys know him. He's the contributing baseball writer for SI and has the book, The Cooperstown Casebook. Who better to talk about the Hall of Fame than Jay? And Jay, welcome to the program uh, with the Hall of Fame announcement in a couple of days. I guess it's the first big event of uh, 2018 in uh, the baseball world. Yeah, well, especially because we don't seem to have much in the way of transactions going on uh, uh, as far as free agents and, and, and trades go. This is uh, this is a big deal, and it's uh, you know generally later than it's been uh, on, on the calendar. Usually, it's the first week of January that they make the announcement, for the, but for the second year in a row, they've made us wait till uh, uh, mid or late January. It's a little maddening, but uh, uh, I'm glad we're getting to it this week. And it's a it's a loaded ballot, and there's so much to talk about. It's actually a great time to get you on. So if if the ballots hold up, and I'm on uh, Ryan Thibodeau's tracker here, and they project some of the final votes, uh, later this week, with Chipper Jones, Vlad Guerrero, Jim Tomey, Trevor Hoffman, and Edgar Martinez actually may sneak in there at 75.2% of the vote, and will be Hall of Famers joined by Alan Trammell and Jack Morris of the Veterans Committee. That's a loaded class. Um, before we get to your thoughts, uh, about your ballot, you know, what do you think about that? That's that's pretty uh, pretty loaded group over there. Well, you know, I mean, we've never seen a uh, since since 1936, the 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 inaugural year that uh, the baseball writers began voting. Uh, we've never seen another five man class outside of that first one uh, when Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Christy Matheson, uh, Walter Johnson, and and Hans Wagner were elected. Um, we've seen a few four man classes. Uh, one. Uh, uh, just a few years ago, uh, in 2015, um, it would be uh, remarkable if we actually get that five-man class. I'm a little skeptical that the vote, that the that the uh, percentages are going to hold for Edgar Martinez, uh, given the drop-off that he's seen in the uh, the uh, unpublished ballots uh, the last couple of years, about a 12-point dip. But uh, um, you know, he's somebody who I believe should be in. I'd be elated if he got in this year. I'd be elated if he got in next year. Um, uh, it'd be very surpri- I'd be very surprised though if this holds out and he gets five, uh, he gets to be a five man class this year. Uh, and it's amazing because anybody who just goes to Baseball Reference or wants to flip over an old baseball card and looks at the numbers, forget the DH. I mean, the guy basically with what he did against the Yankees saved baseball in Seattle. Uh, you know, he should have been elected in you know years ago. Eight seasons, I believe, 300 batting average, 400 on base percentage. 500 slugging. That's in the classes of Mantle and and Bonds. And and I hate to say he's underrated, but when you talk about some of the unpublished ballots of some of maybe the old time voters or those who are anti DH, uh, it's almost criminal that he's going to sneak in just with if he does get in with just over 75. And like you said, very likely could drop off at the end. Yeah, you know, I I look at it. Look, there's a lot of people whose minds have been changed on Edgar Martinez. He was in the 20 something percent. Uh, range uh, not too long ago. It's. It, I think it's a. You know. It's. I'm. I'm proud that I've helped to change some minds. I know that there are others out there who've helped to change some minds. Um, it, you know, if uh, there are people who are never going to come around to the idea of a designator hitter in the Hall of Fame, um, but you know, I think thankfully those people are are, are dwindling, or the, their their numbers are dwindling at least. Uh, you know, as far as the election is concerned, um, it's uh, uh, it's a neat thing seeing somebody who. Uh, uh, you know, I thought was such a remarkable player for so long, but uh, took a lot of convincing for people to come around on uh, to actually be uh, on the verge of this, whether or not it's this year or, or 
or whatever. It's, uh, um, I think, a testament to uh, the fact that uh, minds do change over time and that uh, the work that, that, that I do and that uh, other people who are uh, writing about the Hall of Fame do uh, is, you know, can change some minds without actually having to, uh, um, you know, annoy people to death with, <laughs> uh, with, with the numbers. For sure. Jay Jaffe, by the way, on Twitter, at J underscore Jaffe. You can check him out at uh, Sports Illustrated. Now, you have your own measuring stick for the Hall of Fame, Jaws. Uh, and, and there's so much to it, but the way I look at it is you're, you're looking at a little bit of precedent. Players at the position uh, of that particular individual that have already been enshrined. And, and I don't know if everybody looks at it that way. I, I always think about it. You see guys with historical accomplishments get in. You know, 61 home runs, let's just throw that out there, 3,000 hits, things like that. There's the period of dominance, which could range from anywhere between, you know, 7 to 10 years. And then you got the compilers. But when you start to look at some of the players on your ballot that you uh, put in this year, uh, guys like Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Mike Lucina, Larry Walker, really match up very well, if not better than some guys who – are in the Hall of Fame and were revered uh, for years for their performance on the field. Yeah, you know, my system, JAWS, the Jaffe Wins Above Replacement System, is based on, you know, advanced statistics, specifically Wins Above Replacement, the baseball, uh, sorry, baseball reference formulation. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, total estimate of a player's offensive and defensive value or pitching value. Uh, and, you know, the benefit of using something like that is that we do try to capture uh, you know all the facets of the game. It's not just uh, about the hitting milestones. Um, it's about a player's base running. Um, so a guy like Larry Walker, who was a tremendous base runner, you know, in addition to being a great hitter, uh, is helped. Uh, it's about defense as well. So so Walker and Roland and 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 several other guys on the ballot are helped. Um, you know, we so for so long those categories were kind of paid lip service to, but not really thought about too hard in the context of hall voting and and i think what we've you know what i've been able to bring to this and and encourage others to bring to it is that that total aspect you know because baseball history i mean it's a mess um it's very hard uh i think without advanced statistics to judge you know the relative worth of of a player who's you know who's putting up big numbers in the 1920s and 30s or uh the steroid era uh versus the ones who are playing in you know say the dead ball era or uh you know the mid-60s um, and, uh, you know, fortunately I think people have caught on that this is a good way of looking at it. And, uh, uh it does make for the occasional, uh, surprise. Um, you know, there's a, there's a Bill James anecdote out there. I think uh, it was Tom Tango of, of MLB, uh, com who actually brought it to light. So I haven't actually sourced it, but basically he said something to the effect of, you know, if you've got a metric that, that, that uh, uh, that you predict every time, you know, what its results are going to be, then it's probably not worth much. And like, likewise, if it fools you every time, it's not worth much. But if you've got one that surprises you about one time out of every five, uh, you might be onto something. And that's kind of what I feel like Jaws is. You know, you look at those guys that, like, say, the ones that I've uh, uh, picked, guys like Walker and Roland, may, may not be the most intuitive choices for I think the rank and file fan, but you look a little bit deeper and, and you see their worth. You see that that defensive value and that base running value and things like that added up. Yeah, absolutely. Your your ballot really got me thinking. Uh, for those that didn't see it, it's Bonds, Clemens, uh, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, uh, Tomei, Roland, Edgar Martinez, Mussina, Schilling, and, and Larry Walker. Um, you know, gave me a lot to think about. Also showed when I was starting to look at Hall of Famers, those are in the in, in the museum already. A lot of outfielders, a lot of pitchers, and when you get to first base and second base and third base, um, 
it's odd how it shrinks. The, and obviously it's because of the offensive nature of some of these positions, I guess, uh, or the way the voters went. And this may open it up. You know, when you start to get people to think about Roland and, and, and guys like that, Larry Walker. I mean, Larry Walker from Baseball Reference War is a top 20 outfielder all time. It's, it's really amazing. Never thought about that. Now, there's Colorado in there, and I know that's going to be the argument, but it just shocked me when I really looked at it. You don't, you don't think of it, and, and I think your ballot really opened my mind to a couple of different things there. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think that, um, you know, Walker, I think because, for example, he, he had some injuries. He played uh, a good portion of his career at Colorado where yeah, it's very easy to discount those numbers because uh, anybody can hit 320 there, it seems, uh, with power. And certainly at the time that he was doing that, he had a lot of teammates who were, you know, bashing 40 homers a year. But, um, you know, the benefit of these stats is being able to adjust for those high scoring, uh, you know, the high scoring environment and, and uh you know, with Walker, you know, when you compare Walker, say, to to his teammates at the time, guys like Vinny Castilla and, and uh, Dante Pichette or whatever, uh, you see that it wasn't just the bat that he was contributing with. It was also the, you know, the, his tremendous defense and his base running and things like that. Um, you know, so uh, because of that, he holds up very well in, in, you know, in those comparisons, those cross-era comparisons. And I know, you know, not everybody is, is geared to those and not everybody has total faith in war. And I think it's fair to not, but you know, you look at you look at other versions of the metric, and you look at uh, um, uh, how other players, you know, are viewed in, in the same light, and you can see, wow, you know, and some of us, you know, maybe really missed out on just how how great Walker was um, at the, at the time, and and I think there are players like that that we maybe gained a little bit of appreciation, a little bit more appreciation of. Um, you know, in in the years uh, since, because these metrics have become more popular, um, you know, than uh, and at times they weren't even around when they was when these guys were playing. Now you were limited to ten on your ballot, but if you had an unlimited ballot, were there others that you would put on? Are there others that you're going to put on next year that uh, fell out of your ten that currently are in? You know, eleven to whatever. Yeah, well, you know, we're I think we're pretty much. I felt good about all ten of my guys. I mean, I'm I'm. Uh, you know, I did not have Vlad Guerrero on my ballot. I did not have Trevor Hoffman on my ballot. Um, neither of those guys does particularly well via Jaws. I don't really have a huge objection to either of them being in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I probably would have would have included either or both of those guys if I'd if I'd had more space. I'm also pretty keen on Billy Wagner. Now I'm sensitive to the idea that that you know clo- the closer position. Um, there's not a lot of you know there's 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 not. Um, a whole lot of guys who are really worthy of the of, of the honor, and you know when you start getting down to the, about the thousand inning level where these guys are, um, I think it's even less than that for Wagner. Um, you know they're borderline guys, but if you're going to put Hoffman in, and I think you can, um, you know not necessarily based on Jaws, but if you look at uh, win probability added, for example, um, you know he's he's a much stronger candidate there. If you look at him and you look at, uh, at Billy Wagner, whose numbers are almost as good in the traditional uh, war sense, but maybe not quite as good in the uh, uh, win probability sense, but was the most dominant pitcher in terms of strikeout rate and uh, opponent batting average. You know, there's maybe 13 guys I would, I, I would, I would think about there. Um, you know, when, when this, when this uh, class gets cleared off, I think, you know, Wagner's a guy who, who would be in contention for my 10th spot uh, next year. Um, another one I want to take a closer look at is Gary Sheffield, whose offensive numbers are, are certainly Hall caliber. His defensive numbers—he's got some of the worst defensive numbers in, in the system. Um, 
and maybe that's a, maybe that's uh, a bit of hyperbole and and uh, um, you know I think we can look at that more closely and see if if there are reasons to uh, to wave that off. Um, I think those are those are two those are two guys that stand out to me as uh, uh, ones that I'm still keeping an open mind about. What about Manny Ramirez and Jeff Kent? I know defense won't grade them well. Um, you know Kent kind of played all around the field, but even if you take second baseman who played 75 percent of the their career at the yeah. position, Kent has most home runs. He he favors very well. Yeah, he's, Kent's, Kent's got good offensive numbers. He's just a little bit lower on the list for me. Um, I think it's because he only had a few really big seasons and didn't have much in the way of on-base percentage and certainly not the defense. Um, you know, I, if there was a groundswell of support to push to push for Kent, I don't think I would be up in arms. But, I, you know, he's he's somewhere around that maybe 15th, 16th best guy in the ballot for me right now, not somebody who, who I would really make a push for. Um, sorry, who's the other one you mentioned there? Um, uh, Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez. Yeah. Well, Manny, you know, Manny. Uh, look, I'm. I, my policy with regards to the guy, the guys who were connected to PED allegations is I draw a distinction between what happened prior to the institution of testing in 2004 uh, and what happened after. I mean, the Wild West era when there were no rules or no enforcement. Um, you know, I, I consign that to one class. I think that, you know, the tra- whatever the transgressions of Bonds and Clemens and McGuire and, and Sosa and whatever, um, those belong to an era when Major League Baseball really was not interested in doing anything about it. So I can't really hold that against them. Now, that's not to say I'm going to vote for every single one of those guys. Um, both Sosa and McGuire come up a little bit short in my system, and I've kept them off of my ballots. Um, but Manny, on the other hand, failed two tests. I think that's a very fair place to, to draw a line is, you know, if you failed a test or were suspended, um, you know, doing something that you knew you shouldn't have been doing because there were, the league had rules against it. Um, I think it's reasonable to hold that against him. Um, so that's where I come down on him. I mean, I love watching Manny Ramirez hit. I would, you know, if there were, if there were five guys from that era that I could watch hit again, he would be one of them. Um, Edgar Martinez would also be one of them. Um, but, uh, you know, Manny did what he did knowing full well what uh, the weight of what could happen, uh, and he went ahead and did it anyway. So, you know, I, I think I'm entitled to hold that against him. A couple of things before I let you go. Uh, Veterans Committee voted in Jack Morris and Alan Trammell. I know both of those, when they were on the ballot, uh, you know, sparked a lot of debate, especially Jack Morris. Uh, with precedent, once I've always felt once you let someone in, and I know it's the Veterans Committee, it's completely different than the BBWAA. It almost then is criminal to leave other like type players off. It creates it muddies the waters. Uh, what is your thoughts on that? Because Jack Moore is getting in, you know, obviously he's got the wins, but you look at a Jamie Moyer who's probably going to fall off the ballot. Um, ERA plus, you know, wins not too far off, right? I mean, I know he pitched a hell of a lot longer. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, look. I'm I'm more of the mind. Look, I I I love Jamie Moore. I, I I'm as somebody who's who's uh, uh, you know still younger than Jamie Moore was when he threw his last pitch, um, but not but not by much. I I have great respect for him, and I think yes, if you want to make a comparison of between Jamie Moore's numbers and Jack Moore's number, I think that it's it's actually rather eye opening. Uh, I'm more of the idea though that if Jack Morris is getting into the Hall of Fame, then the pitchers who were actually better than him in the 80s and 90s, guys like Dave Steeb and Brett Saberhagen and David Cohn, 
um, and there's maybe a few others. Oral Hershiser is another one who comes to mind. Those guys we should be giving a much closer look and maybe a little bit more generosity towards um, because those guys were legitimately better pitchers than, than Morris for a longer time uh, and had many of them had some big postseason moments as well. Um, I'm more open to the idea that those guys are the Hall of Famers rather than, say, Jamie Moyer. I've, you know, Morris was a guy who was obviously very polarizing. Uh, I have a whole chapter in the Cooperstown Casebook about Morris and Burt Blylevin and what I call the war on war, wins above replacement. Uh, and it's about the battle of uh, to get advanced statistics into the common language of, of Hall of Fame debates. And uh, obviously that was a very polarizing uh, chapter of, uh, uh, of, of uh, Hall of Fame history there. Uh, as for Trammell, you know, I'm elated that he got in. He's a guy who I st- have stumped for since he first got on the ballot, more or less. I mean, when I was writing a futility infielder, even before I had uh, uh, invented Jaws, uh, he was a guy who stood out to me as, as worthy of the Hall of Fame, and I'm glad to see him elected. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, his uh, election uh, puts the spotlight on Lou Whitaker, um, who fell off the ballot in his lone appearance and has never gotten onto uh, one of the uh, committee ballots. Um, and I think there was a lot. There was a lot reported about that uh, this time around. Uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, he definitely deserves a closer look. Uh, one last thing. So there's always those egregious guys that are not in the Hall of Fame. I know Clemens and Bonds are the two that come to mind. They're creeping up, but even on public ballots and way lower on the private ballots, they're still far off. Uh, I wonder if they'll ever get in. I, want, I mean, if they don't get in on the on the run with the BBWAA, hard to see the Veterans Committee, unless it changes completely putting them in. Uh, Bonds and Clemens come to mind. Two questions. Do you think those guys get in? And, and number two, if you take them out, who in your mind is maybe the one or two guys, the most egregious uh, individuals not in the Hall of Fame as of today? Yeah. Um, okay. You know, as far as Bonds and Clemens, obviously they're not going to make up make much ground this year. But if you look at the first-time voters, uh, nine out of ten have Bonds. 10 out of 10 have Clemens. As as more younger voters come in over the next four years after this one, myself included, I get about in 2021, um, and as more older voters who are removed from coverage are retired, um, you know, lose the franchise uh, once they've been t- away 10 years, those guys are going to to keep making up ground. Um, so, you know, it's I think this year um, they're probably going to see maybe only – three or four or five points advancement uh, into the high 50s here. Um, but that's while withstanding the blast of Joe Morgan's letter, which is a very targeted effort uh, to keep them out of the Hall of Fame. And I obviously it's very clear that there are not many, many voters have taken that uh, to be um, you know, a directive that they can get on board with. I mean, you know, it, it, it didn't change any minds. Or if, if it did, it changed relatively few. Um, you know, I think... So I think they get in eventually. By the you know by the time uh, I'm voting, I, I expect that uh, I might have a chance to to cast a ballot for them in 2021. They'll that'll be their uh, ninth year on the ballot. 2022 would be their tenth year. Um, I suspect I'll have a chance. I I think that they'll that that could be around the time that they get in. Um, as far as the egregious ones, the one, two that I cover in my book. Uh, at length, that I think race had a lot to do with in terms of the bumps, the obstacles they faced during their career. Uh, Dick Allen, um, uh, you know, the great Phillies uh, 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 third and first baseman, and also uh, of, of other teams, White Sox, uh, especially, uh, and Minnie Minoso, uh, whose career was uh, 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 shortened at the front end by 
the uh, the color line and uh, really ha- kind of had to wait his turn to get a shot uh, with with the Indians who were sort of on a quota system. Um, I think both of those guys, you look at their career, they're very high peak guys who's, who, who who measure up very well, and uh, I think you have to understand the obstacles they face to really fully appreciate, you know, what they gave and what they lost. Um, I'd love to see both of those guys get in. Uh, Cooperstown Casebook, uh, give the listeners any information where they could find it. Uh, obviously, you're at si.com, at J underscore Jaffe on Twitter. But it's a good book, and it really, like I said, and, and I mean this sincerely, your ballot really got me thinking. You know, Every time I think I, I got that. figured out who's a Hall of yeah. Famer, who's not, and then you look at Roland and you look at Walker. And these are guys, I mean, the fun part is I'm 40. Um, I'm starting to you know, see guys that I watched play and, and remember, and I'm like, wow, I never, you know, he really gives you a different look. So Cooperstown Casebook, where can they find it? Where, you know, what, what do you have coming it's on, up? It's on, it's like available that? from all your major retailers. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. Uh, there's a bookstore in Brooklyn that uh, via which I can sell you a, uh, a signed personalized copy. If you go to cooperstowncasebook.com and look on the right-hand side, um, you'll see a link to that uh, for signed copies. Uh, it's a little bit more than it's going to cost you on Amazon, but uh, uh, it'll save you the trouble of uh, buying one on there and then shipping the book to me if that's what you if that's what you intend to do. Um, uh, it's in your local bookstores too. Support your local bookstores. I'm a big believer of that. But uh, uh, there's really no way not to get the book <laughs> if if there's an indi- if there's a retailer online uh, you know that you can buy books from, you can find it there. All right. Well, listen, you've been generous at your time. Thanks so much. Uh, be well. Let's catch up again, and I'm sure we'll all be glued to the uh, the television for the announcement later this week. Thanks a lot, Jay. Appreciate it. All right. It. Thanks, Mike. Take care. That's uh, Jay Jaffe, at J underscore Jaffe on uh, Twitter, and Cooperstown Casebook is uh, his, uh, his publication, and uh, really interesting stuff. Like I said in the open, really gave me some things to think about, and uh, every year this, this Hall of Fame, this debate, this whole fun exercise gets more and more interesting and uh, it makes you really think about how you view the, uh, the Hall of Fame and what have you. So appreciate Jay coming on. Let's take a quick break and when I return, final thoughts, wrap up, give you the schedule, things coming up, and uh, we'll wrap up the show right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts. I thought Jay Jaffe was, was pretty good, and I know there's going to be some of the audience who are traditionalists and say, oh, the numbers, this and that, but I, I got to tell you, he really did. I meant that sincerely make me think, and I've always been in the mindset that the Hall of Fame and the way I look at the Hall of Fame, and I said it during the piece, is 
what historical accomplishments does a player have? I think Roger Maris, for just the fact that at that time, had that historic run, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He had something that no one else did that at that time was 61. Same with McGuire and Sosa. Uh, you have to have that period of dominance. You'd love it to be a decade, but it's got to be meatier than a three- or four-year jump. I mean, you could even make an argument, you know, that, that that's why Ralph Kiner is in the Hall of Fame, because he had, although his career was short, he had that pre- period of dominance. Gil Hodges has that, where he was one of the best offensive first basemen in the league. So that's part of it. And then there's the compiled numbers. Now, you'd like everything to come together. And then there's the argument where, well, all three is what a Hall of Famer is, the historic situation, the compiled numbers, the, the, the period of dominance. And I understand that. That's a very small museum. I'm not sure that's a marketable museum. And I think that there's tiers. There's Hall of Famers, then there's tiers of Hall of Famers. No one's going to suggest that Bill Mazeroski is the same type of Hall of Famer as Ted Williams or Willie Mays or Babe Ruth or even Barry Bonds, who's not a Hall of Famer, but you get the point. He should be. Uh, so every, you know, not every baseball player is created equal. Not everybody's role is created equal on the diamond. But that doesn't mean that you're not the best of the best in those situations. Now, as far as this year's Hall, I can't argue with any of the selections. I'm not bothered by any of these selections that potentially may come down if it holds with Chipper Jones. I mean, we know Chipper uh, firsthand here in New York. Uh, what he meant to the Braves, how, you know, you go back to that 99 series or the late 90s. So, I mean, he just, his first career home run was against the Mets. Every time there was a big hit, it was almost like playing against Michael Jordan in the in the, play, in the playoff series. You know, Chipper was just, he was fabulous, especially in 99 uh, in that series uh, against the Mets. Uh, you know, you have Tomei, 600 home runs, Vlad Guerrero. Uh, Edgar Martinez, to me, should have already been in. Uh, I mean, an incredible hitter. Look at his 1995. He almost had a you know a 480 on base percentage. I mean, just just look at the numbers. Forget the DH. I understand those that say he didn't play both sides of the ball. I don't care if you just take four at bats and sit down the whole time. It's not easy to perform at the level that Edgar Martinez performed. If it were, there'd be a hell of a lot more DHs like that who are just taking four swings a game. Trevor Hoffman's the one I never was. He wasn't the kind of closer where you felt that you were done. And that's how I go by closers. I don't believe Billy Wagner is a Hall of Famer. But when Wagner, not so much in his Mets days, he was starting to have you know the elbow issues, but he was still very good. His Houston days, Wagner was the kind of guy when he came in, you were done. Think back to that 1998 late season series against the Astros. The Mets had those wild extra inning come-from-behind wins. One of them was a, a game where Piazza hit a home run to the opposite field off of Wagner. And that was one of those wow moments, like, you know, look at what Mike can do against an elite closer. When you watch these players, and that's why it's great to have a Jaws, it's great to have war, these are great weighted measures that basically take offensive and defense, put them together to create a, a, a number to make it easier to evaluate. It's fine to have that, but when you watch these players, you really get the feel that they're a Hall of Famer. And uh, I think uh, that's why when he said Scott Rowland, you look at Scott Rowland, I've always said, you know, David Wright to me, his career, if he had stayed healthy, would have morphed into Scott Rowland. I'm not sure. Uh, he was starting to decline with when the back went down. And Scott Rowland had a really, really strong period. 
uh, a long run where he was a guy that was 20 to 25, 30% better than, than the league average offensive player, great third baseman, uh, you know, quietly in St. Louis and Philadelphia. I mean, I think if he had played in a bigger market, there might be a better appreciation for him. Uh, the one that, that, that I, I guess I disagreed with, uh, and, I, and I understand because if you look at the numbers, they're solid. They're right up there with the, the Dave Winfields and the Tony Gwynns of the world when you look at his, his ranking in terms of wins above replacement, is Larry Walker because he's just so much better in Colorado than he was in Montreal. And he was pretty much at the end of his career in St. Louis. But, and I understand you still have to hit the baseball, but Colorado with the, the, that, that period of time, it was a new ball. It was new to the league. They had not done the humidor yet. Those wide gaps, the ball flying out, the offense that was created around him just made it so much easier. It, it's almost like a legal steroid when you believe that anything you hit is going to find a hole. I mean, there's, this, there's such a mental part to the game of baseball. So I have an issue, not an issue, but I, I, I don't agree with, with Jaffe on that. Andrew Jones, I understand that too. Defensively, I'm not sure I'm the biggest Andrew Jones guy. I have to think more about that. But to me, right now, uh, and, and, and here's who I believe our Hall of Fame. I think Chipper Jones is, I'd go with Guerrero, Edgar Martinez, Tomei, uh, Clemens, certainly, Bonds, certainly. Ramirez, uh, for sure. Uh, I definitely think that uh, Jeff Kent should get consideration uh, for the Hall of Fame. He's, these are the guys more on the fringes. And then uh, Sosa, to me, falls into something historic, so he falls into my criteria. And i got to think more about guys like Schilling and Mussina. But I can tell you, uh, if you let Jack Morris in the Hall of Fame, there's also a thing like we talked about called precedent. You let Jack Morris in the Hall of Fame, and I've been okay with that because he was, you know, with the wins. I don't discount wins. There's still a value to me in, in winning a ball game. It, maybe it's harder now because you need to rely on a bullpen to do it for you. Back then, you had to do it yourself because you were probably going seven, seven and a half innings. You let Catfish Hunters of the World and Jack Morris's who had, you know, periods of maybe dominance at times, but not the length of a Mussina, of a Schilling. Then you have to let Mussina Schilling in. You probably have to even think about a Jamie Moyer, like I said, and uh, a Tommy John. You really, precedent is the interesting thing. And there are those who are statistically inclined to say, blow the whole thing up, let's start over, let's clean it up. You can't do that. I mean, they gave people an award. That's not common sense. And then there are those like me that say, let's look at the numbers, but when there's a precedent for a player getting in, how can you deny similar type players after that? That's where it becomes the Hall of Very Good. And what you're seeing right now is a Veterans Committee hell-bent on rewarding the players who they think are quote-unquote pre-1990s clean to basically trade off what they feel is the dilution of the Hall of Fame with more modern players. The Joe Morgan letter where he basically implored everyone not to vote for anybody from the steroid era essentially in, in a lot of ways. Uh, which is so unfair, which is so unfair. These guys, I mean, to compete at the level that you have to compete at today, I don't care what anyone said, with the, the specialized bullpens, how competitive the game is, how analytical the game is, how, how, uh, how much people, you know, players are analyzed to ad nauseum, you have to be good. And just because there were things that went on or technologies or, or 
or supplements that, that helped certain players doesn't mean that you take away from those that achieved. And, and you can't make everybody guilty until proven innocent. That's not the way things work. So to me, there's a lot of sour grapes. The Veterans Committee has other cases that I think they could take of players uh, rather than worrying about who to let out, find out some players who were overlooked during the era of BBWAA voting that they didn't really get a, a outraged about. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all works out. And uh, interesting stuff from Jay Jaffe. I, I really enjoyed it and really gave me something to think about. And as we go deeper into this, I have to think more about Larry Walker. I have to think more about, uh, you know, Sheffield is a name that I have to think more about. I understand, uh, you know, Hoffman. If you look at Trevor Hoffman, I mean, for wins above replacement, to me, a reliever, you have your top – a reliever, because of the way that the saves have been cheapened, you have to be the most elite. You have to be the Gossage or the Rivera, Dennis Eckersley, those kind of guys. I just wouldn't let anybody else in unless they started to go into that level. You could make the same argument for the DH. That's why I don't have a problem with Edgar Martinez. So the fun part about this is there's so many cases. Johnny Damon. There's so many more cases that create debate. It's not just black and white. And we're getting to see, for guys in my age in their 40s, players that we watched growing up now get enshrined to the Hall of Fame. Puts a lot. It tells you how quickly time goes by. But it also is fun to see where there's that connection where you watch them and you can finally say, yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer because here's what I felt watching him. And I think that's a, a component that is missed when you look back and you talk about, I, I could tell, I didn't watch Gil Hodges. I can't tell you whether he was, you know, I could just look at the numbers. So it adds a little bit of fun to the debate and it makes it, makes, gives you, makes it more inclusive, I think, for those of a certain generation in a certain era. Anyway, um, we'll keep an eye on the hot stove. Who knows? By the time this publishes, maybe there'll be some moves that have, have been, ma- been made. Who knows? Super Bowl coming up in a couple of weeks. We typically don't do a show on Super Bowl Sunday. So the last show of January, I'm going to say it's going to be, if, if not Sunday, we're probably going to wait to see what the hot stove does. have an idea of a fun show that I'll uh, won't, won't tease now, but I have a fun show in mind. Less news, hot stove-centric, and maybe more a little fun you know, Mets historical show. So stay tuned for that. And then uh, after the Super Bowl, it'll be, the charge to pitchers and catchers, it's, the offseason's almost over. It's amazing, and it feels like it hasn't begun. So, Anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, I want to thank Jay Jaffe. Check out Jay on Twitter, at Jay underscore Jaffe, and uh, certainly check out his book, The Cooperstown Casebook. It'll come in handy after the announcement tomorrow about the 2018 Hall of Fame induction class. Of course, you can check me out all the time at MesmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get me on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Meet the mess, meet the mess. Head for the park and greet the mess. Hot dogs, green grass, all out of shape. Guaranteed to have a heck of a day. Because the mess are really rocking that ball. Hitting those home runs over the wall.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.